0: Pastor David and Pastor Daniel, and Jessica, Amanda, Pastor, come up here. You get up here, Amanda. You're not getting. You're not getting chicken out of this. I so we were. Lo- Robin was on Facebook yesterday, and she said, "It's Pastors Appreciation Day. Yeah, let's give them a hand." Hallelujah. And I'm like, so we never. I think you're getting a standing ovation almost. So I called Charlie yesterday and I said, have we ever done anything for these guys um, other than just said maybe thank you in passing? And he says, I don't think we ever have. And, and I was like, well, it's high time we did. Um, and I know they probably would say, do not bring me up here and do this to me. It's going to happen anyway. Um, we are so thankful for you guys and for what you mean to us and for what you bring um, to this church and your vision. I, I, Daniel and your sacrifice, um, it doesn't go unnoticed. Um, I, I, Daniel and I, we meet every, um, every Monday morning at 6 o'clock for breakfast and just time of fellowship. And I've grown to really love this guy. Um, he means a lot to me. And all of you do. But the connections we get to make with these people are phenomenal. And if you don't have, if you haven't made that connection yet, I challenge you to do that. Um, at least, at the very least, tell them how much you appreciate them because um, they've, they give up a lot to do what they do. And I, I really i am thankful. In, Thess- in Thessalonians, it says, in 5.12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem you them very, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So today I got – I wanted to give you guys a few th- – a card – a little token of our appreciation. That one's theirs. You You even get one. Yeah. So so let's pray for these guys. Lord, we thank you for our pastors. We thank you for um, what they do for us, Lord God. We thank you for um, their ministry. We thank you for the sacrifice they've given to serve you, Lord God. We pray right now you bless them. Um, Bless them in their ministry. Bless them financially. Bless them in their homes. Lord, I pray you keep your hand on them. Satan, you have no room in the, any of these houses. You have no room in their lives. And you have no room, no way that you can touch each one of them because they're covered by the blood of Jesus and they're backed by every person here in prayer. And Lord God, I just ask right now that um, as they stand up here in front of us, Lord, that um, and we, we give them a little bit of thanks, Lord, I just pray that your blessing falls on them. And we praise you for it in your precious name we pray.
1: Amen. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I want to give a shout out to Daniel and David. They worked their tails off and have been with us since we first started. I know they've made tremendous sacrifices, and I would say the same thing with Paul. So, I am ready to preach the word this morning. Y'all ready? All right. Exodus chapter 17, and I'm beginning a series called Desert Storm. I could not think of a more timely, relevant series for the season that we're in than... What I'm going to be bringing to you in this next month. Uh, because it does seem as though there's an intensity of warfare taking place. And I hear this so much from people, whether it's, you know, just what's going on in the world, the bombardment with their minds, in a marriage, in finances. I mean, I hear people who are just saying, man, I've been in such a season right now. And so we're going to spend you know, uh, a series looking at the warfare that takes place in the wilderness times of life. And the Bible's uh, full of stories about wilderness time seasons and the battles that take place. So I want to highlight uh, here Exodus 17, and I'm starting in verse number 8, and I want to read the entire text down to verse 13, and then we'll pray. Here's what the scriptures say, Exodus 17:8, that Amalek, it says, came with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. And so they took a stone and put it under him and they sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you for the scriptures that give us encouragement and bring hope to us. I pray for a clear mind and godly perspectives today, Lord, that you'd help us identify the battle that we're engaged in. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Anyone old enough in here to remember Gulf War One? <laughs> I do remember Gulf War One. Hey, do we got any people that served in that? Anyone serve around that time? I think I got one head in the back there. Is that right? Yeah. So, hey, we appreciate your service, man. Uh, I was in the fourth grade in 1991. Gulf War was taking place. And I'll never forget that the teacher brought in one of those big TV screens on a, you know, the cart. And we watched war footage instead of learning about math and science. And I've never been happier in my life. like it was black and white stuff was blowing up but that had my attention you know but I have to say if you remember Gulf War I 1991 the Desert Storm War uh, it really wasn't much of a conflict I think we were in and out in a month's time I mean you know it it was like it was over very quickly you know this this series Desert Storm uh, is about the warfare that exists in wilderness seasons and the stories in the scripture are are full of that to back it up I want to read verse 8 it says that Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Now, Amalek is an interesting character here. A- Amalek uh, was the descendants, the Amalekites were the descendants of Esau. And Esau, if you remember, was the brother who uh, sold his birthright to his younger brother, Jacob, for one morsel of food. And forever he has the... Uh, In infamous and dubious honor of being that guy that gave up what God had blessed him with. So in scripture, Esau represents the flesh. And the Amalekites, we could say, are a picture of your fleshly nature and the struggle that's against it. And this morning what I want to provide you with is an action plan against the Amalekites. An action plan against Amalek right here. You know, a lot of times when you think about spiritual warfare, you're going to think about the bombardment you have in your mind and the lies the enemy whispers at you and the casting out. Probably you haven't thought about warfare. All that in the series. But I want to start with a place right here that probably you haven't thought about warfare like you need to. And that is in the battle that takes place against your fleshly nature. You know, when we talk about the flesh, this is highlighted uh, in the book of Romans chapter 6. It tells us that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. When we talk about the body of sin, that's what Romans 6, 6 calls it, the flesh, you're talking about this very body that comprises you. And it's filled with cells and blood flows through its veins and, and, and it's got muscles and all that. But somewhere in there, in the economy and the mystery of what God has set up, there is a fleshly nature that the Bible describes as an enemy against God. And that part of you that every person deals with is always going to be at war with him. Romans 7 is about the tension, the battle that's going on right there. There's this constant internal struggle between, is my flesh going to supersede or is the Spirit of God within me going to overcome in this battle? And so I want to highlight for you this action plan against the Amalekites. I'm going to work through uh, you know, this, this uh, story here because you, you can read the Bible, but sometimes you've got to read the Bible. And there's underlying messages here that really highlight for us the battle plan that we're engaged in. Let's look at verse 9. It tells us that Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. And he said, Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God. Someone say the rod of God. I'm going to stand on that top of the hill with the rod of God outstretched in my hand. Now, let me highlight for you the the first strategy, the first action you can take in this battle, in this fight against your flesh, and it has to do with using your rod. It's an interesting phrase, the rod of God. And what it represents for us is the authority that God has given to us as believers, authority over the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that you and I, when we accept Jesus, Scripture says we have been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but it's christ who lives in me in the life i now live i live by faith in the son of god and what that simply means is that you have been given authority to say no to the devil to the world and to your fleshly nature the problem with the fleshly nature that you struggle with is it's very insidious did you know that i mean it's sneaky And because it'll try to get you to blame all your battles on other things but that. I mean, you know, it'll get you to think that, you know, you're looking at pornography and some devil is making you do it. When what's happening is your flesh is just running wild. Or, you know, you ate too much at Thanksgiving and you think, well, it's the in-laws put it in front of me. Really what that battle is is not indigestion. It's that your flesh is running wild. Sometimes, you know, like I remember one time I had this buddy, (laughs) He's, he said he was in a prayer line, and, and people were praying for deliverance. They were casting devils out of people. And he's kind of a bigger guy, and when the lady got to him, she said, I command you spirit of obesity to come out of him. And, and he looked at her, and he said, I will for a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> so it might be that what you're really struggling with is a is flesh nature that's run wild. You know, the Bible says that anger... Is a flesh problem. You know what else the scripture says is a flesh problem? Heresies. That is listed as a work of the flesh. What an interesting thought that your false doctrines appeal to people's egos and the flesh nature is at work. So I'm just trying to help you understand that you can use God, bring. you can use the authority God has given you to subdue a fleshly nature. Sometimes the rod that God brings, He gives you in your hand, is a rod of correction. This is the rod that's sort of like whack-a-mole where you come to grips with the fact that some of the battles you're in are are really just consequences from poor decision-making. Can I get a witness? Like when your wife tells you don't buy that and you went ahead and bought it and now you're out of money and then you wonder why in the world is this taking place? Well, it's because you had undisciplined in a certain area. And this is what happens to people. They blame all kinds of other things about the fact that they are undisciplined or their flesh isn't subdued and so they end up in a battle somewhere. I mean, think about that. you got to use the authority that God has given to you. Sometimes it's corrective. The rod of God can be corrective. Sometimes the rod of God is revelatory. In other words, it's a revelation. Because a lot of times you and I might be going through life in battles and struggles and not fully understanding what's taking place. Like you really might be blind about something. And it takes God to illuminate the problem to you. I mean, he has to highlight it for you. Now, I think it's interesting that Moses had a rod. In verse 13, Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So Moses had a rod, Joshua had a sword. You know, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's what the New Testament says. And it cuts and discerns between joints and marrow and between the motive of a person's heart. And so when God speaks something to you, when he, you know, whispers something to your spirit, it gives you a rhema word in season that's revelatory and corrective. It can set you free from something. It can actually help you overcome some of the battles that you're engaged in. You know, this just happened to me this last week. I had the Lord drop something in my heart that was just so profound. I mean, it hit me in such a way. Boom, right there. Sometimes people get uncomfortable when you say, God spoke to you? Yeah, he did. What he did was he put a scripture verse in my heart. You ever had God do that? I mean, you're walking along thinking about your problems, and then you get a verse that highlights something. He gave me Proverbs 22, verse 4, in which the Bible says that through humility and the fear of the Lord is length and, and wealth and honor. And man, that verse meant so much to me at the season I was in. It was like, man, an answer came right there when God just whispered a verse to me, brought it to my memory. All of a sudden, it came up from within me. And that was a revelation. That helped me in a moment where I was dealing with my pride. And he highlighted a verse about humility. I mean, it was really incredible. It set me free. That's a rod of revelation that helps you overcome battles against the flesh. Let me tell you what else that rod represents in your life. The rod of God in your hand, like in Moses' hand, represents the experiences that you go through in life. Because Moses had the rod of God in his hand from the time he was at the burning bush until the time that he went into Pharaoh's house, went through ten plagues in Egypt, and what he over the Red Sea, went through bitter places, and now he's got this rod of God in his battle against the Amalekites. And what he's saying is, I've been through some battles before, and I know God is going to bring me through this battle right now. That, that's what happens when you walk with God and, and you have that rod of authority. It says, I've been here before. I know how to get through this moment. I know how to handle money. I can raise children. I have some experiences, some failures, some life lessons. I've learned what it means to overcome conflict. I can get through these things because God is with me. He's given me a rod. So when we talk about fighting the flesh nature, you've got to know how to stretch out your sword like Joshua. You've got to know how to raise a rod like Moses. Moses. And that will help you subdue the flesh that's working against you. Can I get a witness? Anyone understand what it's like to be in fleshly battles? Yeah, everybody does. Now, let's take a look at a second part of this strategy, action plans. Verse 10. It says that Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And it says, Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill, and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. But it says when he let down his hand, that's when Amalek prevailed. Now, this verse is so significant because what it shows me is the second strategy here. This has to do with prevailing in prayer. The Bible does say, Paul wrote this to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he desired that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And what the lifting of your hands represents is prayer. In this case, it's the intercession that Moses was praying while Joshua was engaged in the battle. Now, you might not want to admit that many of the failures uh, or or losses or, or situations you're faced with are won or lost not in a playing field or a battlefield, but in a prayer field, in a prayer closet. Certainly not all battles, because you know sometimes you pray for people and, and they have their own will and they make their own decisions when they get to be certain times in their life and but there are there are these times where it, it's like a lot of times people will you know go through problems and they 'll blame every other circ- situation the battle dance without ever identifying that maybe the problem is prayerlessness because the battle that you might be facing though it's in your flesh and your own earthly desires, there's a part of prayer that helps to subdue that. He called it, you know, interestingly, prevailing in prayer. He, he said that as long as that sword was out, that rod was outstretched, people, the, the Israelites prevailed. You know, it's interesting that the Bible teaches uh, persistence and perseverance in prayer. It teaches us that. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus said that men should always pray and not lose heart. And then in that chapter, he began to highlight for us the parable of the persistent widow. And you remember, she just kept going. She just kept praying. She just kept pressing. And she said, give me justice from my adversary until the judge said, all right, all right, you win. And that that's Jesus' parable about prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you got to keep on asking, keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on knocking at the door, and God will answer you. So scriptures teach That we should pray. Think about what Jesus said in the garden. He said that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that interesting when it comes to prayer? That your flesh nature, sometimes it just just doesn't want to pray. It doesn't want to pursue God. It doesn't want to have anything to do with spiritual things. But battles are often won and lost with perseverance in prayer. It's sort of like the admonition that Elisha the prophet gave to King Joash In 2 Kings 13, the king was on the verge of battle, and he told the king to take an arrow and strike the ground. And he only struck it three times, and Elisha rebuked him and said, you should have struck it five or six times. And what that's like is sometimes the way that we fight battles in prayer. We just kind of pray a little bit and move on. And sometimes the tactic you have to have is to persist in prayer. You have to keep on striking the ground. You got to keep hitting it, keep hitting it, keep hitting it. That's how you wage warfare and and beat the devil. Now, I tell you something, we've been praying on Wednesday nights for as long as I can remember. Before that, we did Saturdays. I mean, we are a praying church. We pray, and we pray, and we don't stop praying, because we feel God gave us a mandate, and I'm going to pray until I see it come to pass. I will not give up. Sometimes I don't feel like being here, but I'm here all the time. I'm praying. Prayer is a priority. You know, I, I like to say it like this. We have relatively low drama in our church, I like that. We have very little drama over here, and the reason why is because we pray devils out of here. (laughs) We prevail in prayer. I mean, we push things out. There's something about being prayerful that is a powerful thing. You know what prayer does? It strengthens you. It strengthens you from the inside out. Jude chapter 1 in verse 20 tells us that we are strengthened on the inside. Pray in the Spirit, and, and, and God strengthens you. He edifies you. He builds you up. There's something about when I'm in a battle, when I'm struggling, when I feel down, when I feel depressed, when I feel discouraged, when, when things just don't feel like they're lining up for me, when I start getting grumbly and complaining about stuff, you have to leave a prayer closet. Maybe I've been alone with God and spend time with Him seeking His face. And I've yet to leave a prayer closet. Maybe I've been there for an hour. Maybe sometimes it's even longer than that. But if I could just get in His presence, it, it's like the, the, everything changes. I get strengthened from the inside out. What happens is my perspectives begin to shift. How interesting is it that Moses, Aaron, and Her were on top of a hill when they were holding up his hands and praying because they're watching the battlefield. When you pray, your perspectives about the battle, about the situation, they become elevated. That's what happens when you spend time in the presence of God. Suddenly you can see things from a much clearer vantage point. You might even come to grips with the fact that really what you're struggling with is your own arrogance and pride in a situation. Mm. See, God will show you those things if you spend time in prayer. Sometimes you got to persist in prayer until you get a release from a burden. Now, not, not a lot of people understand that in this microwave mentality that we're living with in, in a fast food society where everything is quick. But I've had moments where God has put a burden on me to pray for somebody, to pray in a situation. And, and I'll have to just pray until I feel that thing kind of lift off of me. I mean, there's times when you just have to know how to seek God in moments like that. I saw this happen to my mom, you know, when I was a rebellious teenager, and she had a burden to pray for me, and that crazy lady would not stop praying and, and leaving Bibles in my pillowcases. And she said it wasn't an option for me to go to hell, and she would, <laughs> she'd go after me. She, th- there was a burden. And when God gives you a burden, you got to prevail. you got to go after it. you got to pray. you got to seek the Lord. It'll be right there on you. But w- when you're persisting on something, that's where breakthroughs come. That's where the flesh gets weak. That's where your spirit gets strong. And there's something about the battlefield and the victory that comes when you prevail in prayer. That's what they're doing with lifting up their hands there. Now, let's read here in verse number 12. Let me give you a third thing. Uh, it says that Moses' hands became heavy. And I think about the infomercial where that guy said, because we can't do this all day. Because, you, you know, he's holding up a lot of weight right there. And so it says that they, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Let me give you one of the greatest tactics on battlefield that you could have in this fight against your flesh. You want to know what it is? got to learn how to rest. Take a seat. You're going to have to learn what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, that there is a rest for the people of God. Because, you know, if you've... It's, you know what the word amalek means? Amalek means labor. It means work. And sometimes when you're in this battle in, in, in the flesh and just dealing with life situations, you get wore out. You get exhausted. You start sweating. In, in the Scriptures in the Old Testament, the, the priests were not allowed to wear anything other than linen garments because wool garments would make them sweat. And there's something about sweating that's the opposite of resting. And yet God wants us to know how to rest in the battles that we face. Moses is sitting down on a rock right there, up on top of everybody. I'm telling you, this is one of the best battlefield tactics you ever could come by because your flesh will strive after things. And it will want to pick up things. It will want to do things. What happens is it gets impatient for things, and, and you'll think, man, this is just driving me nuts. And really what you're doing is you're pressing for things. You're trying to pick up things that God never asked you to pick up. You're, you're striving after something. And this happens you know, when, when there's maybe an ambition, a selfishness in your heart, and you're striving after something because maybe there's an insecurity, or you want to make yourself look good, or, or there, there's this wound that's festering right there. Or it could be that you're just simply greedy after something. You want more and more and more, and you're never satisfied. Let me tell you where where we really need to think about it in the society we live in is sometimes we just get in too much of a hurry. I mean, I know people who just feel like they got to hustle from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And I have found that a lot of times if I would just rest and take a moment to pray and seek the Lord and calm myself down, battles work themselves out. Isn't it interesting, the more up and you get stressed and get, that, that sometimes is the worst thing you can do in a battle. Here he says, Moses, he just sat down on top of the hill and man, it's a picture of rest. You know, you can rest in God's presence. Exodus 33, he, Moses is with God and he said, God, I want to go with you. And he said, my presence will go with you and will give you rest. That's why I love to worship God. I love to get in the house of the Lord. I'm one of those people. I like to put my hands in the air and jump around a little bit. Because, you know, if I can feel his presence, it's like it just changes something on the inside of me. I can let go of things. I mean, I've been there in enough places with the Lord. I can just close my eyes. I can outstretch my hands. I can just embrace his presence. And when that happens, it's like suddenly, you know, the battle changes the peace of God comes in, all, all the frustrations, all the pent-up anxiety, that leaves in the presence of God. When I worship the Lord, when I surrender myself to Him, that's what outstretched hands are. Yeah. You know, you can rest in the promises of God. That's, you know, 1 Corinthians 1.20, the promises of God are yes and amen in Him to the glory of God. The Hebrew word for faith, and I looked this up in the commentaries, is associated of, with that of a child resting in the arms of his parents. It means there's a total sense of peace. God has got this completely under control. That's what faith looks like. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to be completely trusting of my Father. I, I always think about the, the one baby girl that I have. My little baby Abigail. She's really sick this morning, but she's the snuggler I have. I'll snuggle with her anytime she wants except right now when she's thrown up. <laughs> but otherwise... I love to have at least one child that likes to snuggle in my arms because it tells me she's at peace. And that's how we need to be with the Father. We just take a rest sometimes. Take a seat with Him. You know, that rest that you have is a rest that takes place in the Spirit. So your flesh is always like in a hurry and, and it wants something, and it's impatient and, and, and it gets frustrated really quickly. But the Spirit that's within you, that's, that's the place of you that knows how to just rest. Ephesians one twenty tells us that Like Moses on a hill, you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And what that means is that when you're in a battle, when you start getting agitated about somebody, when you're resting in the Spirit, you can keep your calm. When when you, you have an argument coming up, you can simmer down. When you hear a bad report, you don't have to accept it. When someone says something bad about you, you don't feel like you have to come back swinging at them. The the peace of God, the rest that takes place in your spirit is something that allows you to just glide through that situation. That's called the rest of God. That's faith. That's his presence. That's his promises. And when you learn how to take a seat, that's the place where God starts fighting battles for you. I'm just trying to teach you how to fight this battle against the flesh, Your, your carnal nature that seems to always be under duress. I thank God for the Holy Spirit that helps us rest. Now, let me give you... A fourth thought right here. And I'm still in this 12 verse about Moses. His hands became heavy. They took a stone. They put it under him. He sat on it. And it says that Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. It says his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now, we could talk here on this fourth thought, this fourth strategy against you know, fighting these battles against the flesh. We could talk about teamwork. I'm going to call this one valuing your relationships. This is where you get yourself a buddy, and you got some you know people that you could partner with. And, and there's something about that man that's so powerful. I think about uh, Aaron and her that Moses had with him. Uh, Aaron was his brother in uh, you know, her according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, her was married to Miriam, Moses' sister. So her was his brother-in-law, and then we've got his protege Joshua, who's going to take over, who's out fighting the battles. And if you study the scriptures, this is what you're going to find, that when battles are fought, you're going to need some team members, some players. I think about Abraham in Genesis chapter fifteen or chapter 14, and he had 318 trained servants in his household, and they went out and fought a battle. Think about King David and his mighty men. You know, we could think about Jesus and 12 disciples. Peter, James, and John were his three closest who were with him in in duressing moments in the most difficult places. We could think about Paul and Silas and Timothy and the people that he traveled with. And the the idea is that, man, you need to value the people that you have in your life, the ones that can hold up your hands. Now, this is a verse that's really very near and dear to me, one that I've appreciated uh, for a long time and and am grateful for. Uh, because I've experienced what it's like to have Aaron and her in my life. I mean, they were up here on the platform today. I'm, I'm sure grateful for brothers, for friends, for people who can hold up my hands. I'm grateful that I can go to people when I need prayer. I can get call my wife. You know, uh, I, I got a mom who always pray for me. I, I got a whole staff that's willing to pray and stop. I mean, we are praying church, and there's something about when people gather around you and hold up your hands that helps you in these battles. So you got to Value your friendships. Uh, You need some brothers in a battle. My son Titus now is seven, and he runs around like a wild banshee man with the Hegel boys. I mean, (laughs) it's like you would never have known that seven years ago when he was born, he was in the neonatal intensive care unit. And it's amazing because the doctors that were there, the nurses, they told me, man, you got quite a support unit. You got people coming up here with you all the time praying. I mean, that brought me through a difficult season like that. You know what relationships provide for you? Is they provide a steadiness. Think about that. Moses' hands were steady until the going down of the sun. That, that's a, that means there's a, uh, a consistency that, that allows you to just, you know, stay strong in, in uncertain times. You know, it does seem right now like we're living in a very uncertain hour in the world. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And you can kind of feel this shaking in these last days that we're in. You can sense it. You can feel it. And that means that there are moments right now. This is a time for you to be engaged with some brothers. Have some people who have your back. Get with your Aaron and her. Get with some people that'll hold you up. That's what Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10. That we we can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But we need to encourage each other as we see the day drawing near. Man, there's something about that to be said about being with your brothers. It, It tells us that Aaron was on one side and her was on the other side. There's a balance that's right there. You know what I found about relationships in your life is they provide balance for you. Because you know, sometimes you get the tendency to maybe get a little off. You you, you might get a little too far out there on a tangent and you need some people to help swing it back and provide balance. I'm sure glad for Pastor David. Because David, he's a master at being able to tell me the truth. I'll be like, brother, I'm struggling. I feel depressed. I feel discouraged. I want this and this. And he'll say, well, the problem is you have an ego. Or the problem is that you're short-sighted in your perspectives and you're impatient. And I'll have to be like, yeah, yeah. right." <laughs> That's called balance. And that helps you battle against your fleshly nature. Because you got to have somebody that tells you the truth. I mean, I, I think about... You know how relationships are a force multiplier. You know, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one, and two will be stronger in their work than one. Deuteronomy 32 tells us that one will chase a thousand, and two of y'all shall chase 10,000 to flight. And if you do the math, three of you will do a million as a force multiplier. Jesus said that if you get two or three people together and pray about anything, it shall be done for you. If you could just get people in agreement with you, I mean, that, that's a powerful thought. I think it's so interesting that here's Moses, and, and he's got Aaron and her and he's gone you know, from this one battle against the Amalekites, and if you jump ahead to chapter 18, you're going to find that he's in another battle. He's got to be the judge and the jury and the executioner for all these people that come to him with their problems. And a man named Jethro, his father-in-law, sat down with him, In Exodus 18, 17, and he said, the thing that you're not doing, the thing you're doing is not good. That's that's why you need balance. That's what people help you do. He said, you're going to have to restructure some things because what happens is you and I might be in a battle, but there might be a blind spot where you're taking too much on yourself. You've overextended yourself, and it's creating all these problems, and it could be simply solved if you could get some people to hold your back. Value the relationships you have. I mean, relationships are a very powerful thing. Uh, Relationships are there to provide encouragement. Man, I love what Paul wrote to Philemon about Onesimus. It says that he refreshed my spirit in the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people who, if I'm in down seasons or I feel frustrated, I'm in a battle, have come alongside me and encouraged me. You know, I'll be in a house remodel and I feel kind of overwhelmed with situations, I don't feel like I can quite get done things, or I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. And I've had more than one, you know, guy come along and say, oh, I remember when I was in that situation, this is what I did, and I felt that way. And when I was going through this, and you can get through it, that encourages me. My friend, Pastor Mike Ware down in Denver, the overseeing pastor, I mean, he's brought so much encouragement to my life about church. Just staying steady, staying strong, having integrity, building me up. I mean, there's something about that encouragement that allows you to just move forward in the plan that God has for you. I mean, if you really want to subdue, you know, the the flesh nature in this fight that we're in, you're going to have to learn some of these tactics of the battlefield. And I'll tell you what, I'm just glad that we're no longer fighting Saddam Hussein, you know, that happened in the Gulf War. (laughs) The battle that you're now engaged with is the battle that's against your flesh. And what that simply might mean is that uh, you're going to have to use the rod that God has put in your hand. That means that maybe there's a sword that needs to be extended on your part uh, to hit back. You might need to hear the word of God. You might need to actively step out in faith. You might have to say no to yourself. There's a rod that God put in your hand and that rod can be self-control. There's a lot of things that God can show you to stop you from making bad decisions. A lot of this has to do with simply renewing your mind. I mean, when you understand that you've been given authority over the world, the flesh, and the devil, you don't have to say no. You don't have to let emotions push you. You don't have to let the battle run wild. You can say no. You can take authority over the storm raging within you. Uh, It could very well be that a lot of the problem you're faced with is that you're simply not praying enough. I mean, I know people who might be, too spiritually minded to be of any good because all they ever do is stay in prayer closets, but I'm willing to bet the majority of people really aren't actively pursuing God and praying enough. I found out that if I'll press in and pray more, I will work and fight less. The more that I pray about something, the more I step in God's presence and go after him, the easier the battlefield gets. Isn't that true? And man, what about resting? I mean, is that your first reaction in a battle? is the first thing that you know to do is to just run into the arms of the Lord and find peace in his presence? Or, or is it like, man, I just gotta keep the hustle. I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep going because I know a lot of people who live there and they wear themselves out. You know, that's how pastors end up in burnout because there's a never-ending list of things to do and you can't achieve them all. And so sometimes you just have to know how to rest in the presence and the promises of God. And you got to be grateful for your people, man, the people that hold you, the people that are with you, the people that love you. You know, I was uh, praying about this series. I feel like this is a very timely word here in the month of October, and I wanted to just begin this series by inviting anybody who needs prayer for a battle that they're in to just come down to the altar, and we'll pray with you. And I don't know what battles you're faced with. I mean, this might have been a word for you today. Maybe there's some things that you just got to get in order in your life and you're struggling in your flesh with things. It could be that there's some real demonic strategies against you. I mean, I know people who are battling, you know, all kinds of lies from the enemy and and there's demonic assignments. And and that's true. We'll we'll get to all that. I just feel like God's going to show you some of the battle that's against you. Uh, It could be the perception you have of yourself which we'll highlight next week. But I feel like to just kick this off, I wanted to just pray for people. I've got a a prayer team. You know what I feel like doing? I just feel like inviting the worship team to come on back. I feel like that God's going to set some people free. I think if we take authority right now in this season, in the next four weeks, we're going to see some breakthroughs in people's lives. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching this because these are things I've had to walk through on a personal level. I've had to deal with Amalek. I've had to fight these things, but I don't know where you're at. I don't know what battle you're in. I don't know if it's with your flesh, if it's with children, if it's with memory. whatever it is. We just want to open our altars up for prayer and pray with people. So can we do that? Uh, Would you just stand up with me? Let's just take a moment and wait and listen, if you need to get going, we love y'all. You can get your kids. But if you want prayer, if there's some things you're struggling with, if you just can't seem to get a breakthrough, if you don't know, you know, where's this battle coming from? I want to pray with you. And I feel like God is really going to set some people free. So I don't know. I don't know who I'm talking to. But we want to pray for you as we get started here in worship. Let's just take a moment and thank the Lord for coming in our house. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for deliverance to the captives. I thank you, Lord, for bondage is breaking off of people. I thank you for truth in people's minds. I thank you for renewing their minds. Lord, we just thank you for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, I want to invite you down to the altar for prayer. We love you much, man. We'll catch you all next week.